Paratooth Radio is a proud member of Evergreen Podcasts on KillerPodcast.com. Christian and non-Christian paranormal investigators. They have two different views, and it seems as if neither of them can ever agree on anything. So what happens when a mainstream view of the paranormal crosses paths with the Christian view? <laughs> Something epic. This is Paratroop Radio. What's going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to a brand new episode of Paratruth Radio. My name is Justin. And I'm Eric. And tonight we've got a very interesting episode for you. Uh, but before we start, Eric, do we have any uh, housekeeping we need to get done before the show starts? Uh, no, not today, I don't think. I think we're pretty good. Uh, you know, we are in September. So happy September, everybody. You know what that means? We're only a month away from the season of all seasons. Uh, so, you know, Halloween's coming about and we've got some fun stuff lined up for you guys. Uh, and I, you know, if you guys have, uh, have any thoughts, ideas for Halloween specials, uh, feel free to just reach out to us. Uh, we can start doing those earlier if we need to or extend them later into November. So we're all open for shows, uh, whatever you guys have in mind yeah uh we've got two guests confirmed so far so it'll be an interesting one and then fingers crossed no covid issues uh we will be doing a live show from scarefest uh the week before halloween i believe it is so, the week before or the weekend before yeah the weekend before halloween um so it'll be it'll be interesting. Uh, we'll we'll talk a little bit about the different guests that we we're we're getting on in the week, weeks to come. Um, but tonight we are going to be talking about uh, two separate cryptids. Uh, there's not a really a whole lot of information on them, so we decided to pair them together. But they are interesting nonetheless. Um, so tonight we're going to be talking about the. Cabagon and the Zuyo Maru creature or carcass, uh, just depending on where you get your information. So I was looking at these and I just shared Eric to uh, shared with Eric before we got recording here that you know you do this research and you click on different links that are supposedly connected to these other creatures and it just raises way more questions. Um, and I think we've probably brought that up. I don't know, at least a dozen times, right? Eric on Paratrooper oh, yeah. radio. <laughs> at least, <laughs> but you know what? It opens up the possibilities. So for so many shows, uh, right. Various times, especially with these cryptids, the cryptids is the problem. You don't get right. this kind of thing when you're like researching ghosts or anything like that. It's just the cryptids. <laughs> right. Ghosts, you, you're like, okay, we can't see it. We do research and get these weird things that happen. 
so you can't really explain anything, but you think it's a ghost with cryptids. There's these sightings, random pictures, uh, or supposed pictures of things. And then it's like, okay, where did they go? Well, it was only spotted once. Oh, great. So is it a creature? Or is it people freaking out on, on the water or on land or what? Yeah, it, It's interesting. You know, it, you get one sighting and it pops up on these cryptid feeds like crazy. And it's like, is one sighting really like, is, <laughs> is that enough? Is that all we need to, to develop a new cryptid? Because, I mean, if that's the case, I see a lot of stuff when I drink. They might be cryptids. <laughs> Am, are we seeing things that just, you know, they're, they're coming out of the woodwork? <laughs> well, like the one uh, guy that had posted in Paratruth Facebook group. And he's like, yeah, I thought I had caught a Bigfoot uh, for you guys. But nope, it's it's the Yeti tree or whatever he yeah. says. <laughs> Something yeah, to that. And I, I've been there driving through West Virginia. <laughs> I've seen those trees. <laughs> So anyways, getting back to the creatures that we're going to be discussing tonight. So first, we're going to go over the the Cabagon. Now, this was very interesting because both creatures that we're talking about tonight um, were either caught on camera or caught by sailors or uh, just legends by uh, sailors from Japan. And both are off the coast of New Zealand. The Cabagon uh, was reported to live in Antarctic seas off the coast of Littleton, New Zealand. It was sighted once, again, once, by the crew of a Japanese fishing vessel. Uh, the the sighting, or, or maybe there was more sightings, they just haven't talked about it. Um, on f- February 13th, 1958, at about 7 p.m., uh, and this kind of links all to one creature, kind of, too. Uh, 28 crew members, including the captain of a Japanese fishing vessel, 28th Konpuramaru from Makawa, Miyagi witnessed a large creature off Littleton Peninsula in New Zealand. Only the 1.5 meter tall head of the creature was observed, and the creature dived after watching the clues for a while. Captain Kimuru... Gosh, I'm brutalizing these names, guys. (laughs) Uh, Kimura sketched the animal. Local magazine in New Zealand... Uh, the New Zealand Weekly Magazine later picked the sighting and mysterious footprints were reported on the beach near the sighting location. Um, now, the description that's given, and I looked at this at a couple of different websites, um, is that it looks like it has two sets of eyes, sort of, uh, there's eyes on top, um, the way that it's sketched, and then these two holes underneath, even though they look like eyes, to me, my first thought is nostrils. Um, yeah. Go ahead. 
No, yeah. I mean, the, you're talking about the eyes themselves. Well, like in in the drawing, there's like these two eyes on top, and then mm-hmm. there's these two smaller things, and the all the websites that I looked at described it as a secondary set of eyes, or more likely nostrils. Oh yeah, I mean, I've in everything that I've looked up, I've only seen it as most likely being two large red eyes, and then the two large nostrils. Um, I haven't seen anything that says four eyes yet, unless it wears glasses. <laughs> well, the the description in this one, uh, this is from Obscurban, obscurbanlegend.fandom.com. Uh, it says, most notable features of the creature are very large eyes at the top of the head. Below these are two circular shapes, which some members of the crew characterized as a second set of eyes. Others, apparent nostrils and large head measuring 1.5 meters in height from under the eyes nostrils to the top of the head um coloration is grayish with reports citing the animal's texture as rough and hairy or otherwise scaled with spikes in general the head of the creature resembles a giant a gigantic spider's head and eyes it also resembles a cryptid known in Japanese waters, the giant sea ghost Umibozu. Kabagan has been associated with similar Japanese sightings in Antarctic waters, including the Antarctic Godzilla and the Ninjin. I, uh, if you guys get a chance, look up both of those creatures. I, I mean, there's very little information on either of those, so I decided to just look them up and bring them up on this show this episode um both of these are creatures that were sighted in antarctic waters uh the ninjin is supposedly a it looks like a mix between a human and a whale and then the uh antarctic godzilla all they saw was a hump with a fin on it and it was supposedly the one of the largest cryptids ever encountered. And it was only discovered once. And the weird thing is, maybe this guy was getting confused. Uh, The Antarctic Godzilla was first sighted on February 13th, 1958. But he had put two separate dates in the sighting for the Kabagan. And so I think the actual date for the Kabagan was April 28th, 1974. Mm-hmm. But then he also says on February 13th, 1958 at about 7 p.m. So I think he was mistaken and typed that thinking he was talking about the Antarctic Godzilla. Uh, now the Ninjin, uh, there's no date as to when this thing was seen or the picture was captured because it must be more recent because it, it looks like a and a picture from maybe the 80s, 90s area. Um, mm-hmm. But this thing is huge, 60 to 90 feet in length. An engine has been described as being a humongous, blubbery white-like creature uh, whose smooth, pale form vaguely resembles the head, torso, and appendages of, human, of a human being. Now, you don't get any of that with the Kabagan, so I don't know how it's necessarily associated with these other two creatures, other than it was 
cited in Antarctic waters. Yeah, I mean, I think it's more of, you know, it's a possibility that this was a mistaken identity for one of these other two creatures. And it's very possible, and I think that's what they're saying, is that these three creatures can all be one and the same creature. Uh, But since there's no definitive um, detail on what these creatures are or how big they actually are, they kind of have to just create these three separate entities. uh, And that's that. I mean, which is kind of weird, you know, because you would think, let's just, you know, let's combine all these into one category and just leave it as one creature. Right, yeah. You know. Yeah, in the other two uh, descriptions, it doesn't say anything about finding any... uh, any footprints or anything like the Cabagon. Uh, mm-hmm. But it is interesting nonetheless that all of these creatures were seen off of the coast near Antarctic waters. Um, the Some of the explanations that this guy ha- in this, in this uh, article says is uh, an undis- undiscovered species a cryptid, very possible. Uh, an exotic species, such as an, a walrus. Uh, a known animal, such as an elephant seal. An iceberg. There have been sightings of phantom islands off the New Zealand coast, which were attributed to icebergs. A misidentified whale, or due to the enormous eyes, a giant squid. Uh, or the last one, a rotting body of a large known animal distorted into monstrous a monstrous shape. This phenomenon of rotting carcasses at sea mistaken for monsters known as Pseudoplosoria occurred years later in the same waters by a different fishing crew in the well-known Zuyomaru case, which we will talk about. Um, so just looking at those and then looking at the picture... My first thought is a walrus or or maybe even a seal, but um, in nineteen seventy four, if that's the date that supposedly this thing was saw, you would think people would have known what a walrus or an elephant seal were, right? I mean, you would think. Uh, I'm curious. I mean, as I know to... it was dark, but right. That's what I was going to say. I'm curious as to just, you know, exactly what time it was, because here, you know, in the research, all, all I've seen is April 28th, 1974, but there's no specific time as to when they saw it. Uh, now I know this one site that you're using, uh, does put about 7 PM, but that very well could have been with this February 13th, 1958 sighting of the other creature. That's what I think uh, but... it is. Yeah. So, you know, there's no other site says that. Right. So we don't really know exactly what time it was. It could have been nighttime. We don't know how far they were uh, from the the sighting or from the creature itself. Uh, So for all we know, what they saw was just a blob with two red eyes, which could have very well been a reflection uh, if they were to scan their light out uh, over the seas. That might have reflected off the eyes, creating that red coloring uh when you look at creatures like just like our modern you know our pets cats dogs especially animals with blue eyes uh i'm a 
dogs, for example, when they have blue eyes, the light reflects back red. Uh, and when it's brown, it usually reflects back as a yellowish or silverish uh, tone. So it's very possible whatever this creature was might have had some blue uh, eye color and it reflected back that red light, uh, which is weird and interesting for those of you who don't know, because when you look and you wonder why, like even in our own photos, why do our eyes flash red? In fact, I'm going to throw you on the spot here, Justin. Do you know why our eyes tend to get, you know, be red-eyed when we get uh, pictures with the flash on? It has to do with the inner lenses, kind of like a, a flash from an animal, right? Sure, yeah. I mean, it, it, in part, it, but it's actually what you're seeing with that red is blood behind the eyeball. And oh, it's okay. reflecting through the lens, and that's why it's red, which is kind of creepy when you think about it. Right. Um, but yeah, so you know, and it's very possible that that's what happened here. They actually just flashed their light over the sea. It reflected red off of its, off of its eyes. And that was that. Uh, the other possibility, of course, is that this creature, the Cabagon, is an albino. And albino creatures very mm-hmm. often have red eyes, especially when you think of the albino rat or mouse. They always have red eyes. Uh, or they might have, like I said, blue eyes, which would, of course, reflect back red. Uh, and that's because the color is so much lighter. It doesn't um, obscure the, bl- the blood behind the eye like a darker colored eye would. Right. Well, I, I mean, I've also seen uh, albino alligators with with pink eyes too. So, right, it it's interesting um, that there are depictions of it flashing red. This the other site I was using, uh, the Obscurban Legend, doesn't show anything about red. It, it's a black and white drawing or illustration. Okay. So. Um, I don't know where the red eyes stuff came from um, unless people saw or talked to people uh, and got the big red eyes because in the one website it says yes big red eyes the the other one doesn't so the other thing I used was a Tumblr post um, from Cryptids of the World and uh, this person had said that a uh, another possibility was that the the creature the cabagon is a uh, surviving desmos dilidae so mm-hmm. i had to look this up and a desmos dilidae is an extinct family of herbivorous marine mammals belonging to the order of the desmostilia uh that's pretty much it that really doesn't give a whole lot of description of like what it is kind of similar to or anything. Uh, I looked through all of it and I couldn't really find anything that says, well, it's kind of like a hippo from olden times or something. Mm -hmm. But, um, so I, I mean, that could be a possibility Two, I guess, since we have, you know, we talk about Loch Ness Monster or Champ and that it's possibly a plesiosaur of some kind or some other dinosaur that survived the Ice Age. Possibly 
the the Desmos Deladay um theory, but I don't know. I like you said, without knowing time of day, um, what they would have would have uh, misidentified this creature or how they would have misidentified this creature. It's kind of weird. Right. But it does mention this other creature that we're going to be talking about for this episode. So we will go right into the next creature. Um, and again, this one caught off the coast of New Zealand um, in 1977. And again, this is this is from cryptidsfandom.com and all the other uh, articles pretty much said the exact same thing, so I went with this one. Uh, on April 25th, 1977, the Japanese trawler Zuyomaru, hence the name of the creature, was sailing 30 miles east of Christchurch, New Zealand, caught an enormous, strange, rotting carcass in the trawl. The crew were convinced it was an unidentified animal, but despite the potential biological significances of the curious discovery, the captain, Akira Tanaka, decided to dump the carcass into the ocean again so not to risk spoiling the caught fish. However, before that, some photos and sketches were taken of the creature nicknamed Nessie by the crew. Measurements were taken and some samples of skeleton skin and fins were collected for further analysis by experts in Japan. The discovery resulted in immense commotion and a plesiosaur craze in Japan, and the shipping company ordered all its boats to try to relocate the dumped corpse again, but with no apparent success. Now, looking at what they found, it is a rather interesting picture. And Eric, I would like to hear your take on it because what this particular um, article says and a couple of others that I looked at said that it could possibly have been a carcass of a dead basking shark mm -hmm. uh, due to what it looks like uh, this website showed what a basking shark looks like on the outside, what the skeletal structure looks like on the inside. And then they show the, what the dead carcass would have looked like uh, possibly on the inside, even though they never took it. Uh, but this, they have a description and explanations on this article. And it says, although some insisted it was not a fish, whale or any other mammal analysis later indicated it was almost certainly the carcass of a basking shark by comparing the number of sets of amino acids in the muscle tissue decomposing basking shark carcasses lose most of the lower head area and the dorsal and caudal fins first making them resemble a plesiosaur the reportedly foul smelling decomposing corpse reportedly weighed 1800 kilograms and was about 13 meters long according to the crew the creature had one and a half meter long neck four long reddish fins and a tail about two meters long 
No internal organs remained, but flesh and fat was somewhat intact. So did you get to look at the pictures of this carcass? Yeah, and I've seen this picture so many times over the years. Um, and based on what I'm seeing, especially in comparison to the basking shark, the similarities between them are extremely similar. Uh, you know, and you have to consider this particular carcass is pretty well rotted. Uh, yeah. So, you know, when you consider the fact that sharks in general, a little less skeletony, much more cartilage, uh, you're going to be missing vast amounts of pieces of the original structure, um, mostly because this cartilage is going to be lost to the sea. Uh, and of course, even if it was solid bone, that would off, most likely end up lost too, just because of the con- the current and the waves and you know other creatures feeding off of it, uh, things like that. Now, it does resemble a plesiosaur, sure. Uh, but again, I think that's just really, you know, coincidence more than anything uh, and the fact that scientists have already come back and said hey we've tested the dna of this subject uh and we're telling you it's a basking shark well chances are it's most likely a basking shark unfortunately there's always going to be those individuals who want to fight against the logic and say no this is literally a monster that is you know we don't know it's a cryptid um and i th- think that's just wishful thinking or maybe they just want to believe uh they probably had that ufo poster hanging up behind them uh that Mulder always had near his desk uh hey 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 what are you trying to say i'm just saying we want to believe (laughs) i want to believe uh (laughs) molder wasn't crazy no he was my favorite there i grew up i used to read the comic books there was x uh X-Files comic books and magazines that I would go to the library and just sit there for hours looking through them. And back then I wanted to be Mulder. You, you had, like, who didn't want to be Fox Mulder? Come on. Well, that just goes to show how far back our interest in the paranormal is. Because even though X-Files is a fictional show, I'm Wait, sure what? a lot of... <laughs> Based wasn't everything doc- off of that show... <laughs> My whole life is based on that, man. Not a (laughs) documentary. Well, if that's the case, we might as well start basing our entire lives on Supernatural, too, because we watched all of that. Yeah, but you know what? Like When my sisters and I were young, we actually created our own FBI, and we'd go out at night and stare up at the stars and pretend we were fighting aliens, and we'd mark them down in our book and create these little (laughs) files uh, that we would keep. It was was a good time. We'd stay up to like 2 in the morning. Because of the show? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was a family event. Every week, the whole family would sit down and watch (laughs) X-Files. So, interesting creatures. The one, I mean, I I think it's pretty obvious that it's not a sea creature of any kind, or even a plesiosaur, the the Zio Maru. The the Kabagan, however, is just interesting because given the time frame... I feel it would have been harder to misidentify a creature. Not, not definite on that, but, um, but we are at that point, folks. Um, you have been listening to Pear Truth Radio. We are going to hear Eric's random fact of the day, a quick commercial, and we will be right back. 
right after this. Now, Eric's random fact of the day. Have you ever heard the saying, as American as apple pie? Well, did you know that apple pie isn't very American at all? In fact, according to SmithsonianMag.com, the first recorded recipe for apple pie was written in 1381 in England and called for figs, raisins, pears, and saffron in addition to apples. There were other differences, too. Early apple pie recipes generally didn't include sugar, and their pastry crust was coffin pastry, which was intended as an inedible container, not a part of the pie. There are also recipes for Dutch apple pies as far back as 1514. This was Eric's random fact of the day. I'm Brooke Haley Martin. And I'm Erin Skrivak. And we have a little web series called Audition Audition Life. Life. Inspired by true events, our series focuses on all the things that could potentially go wrong in an audition. And trust me, what can go wrong will. You can watch the series by going on www.auditionlifetheseries.com or by following us on the Instagram handle at auditionlifetheseries. Break Break a leg! Bonjour. This is Fabulously Delicious, the French food podcast. I'm Andrew Pryor. And every week, I bring you the wonderful and fabulous people involved in French food, whether they're here in France like me or from around the world. Each week, we dive into a specific topic, be it a French dish, an ingredient, or a French cuisine cooking technique. My guests are all about French food. So, come join me on Fabulously Delicious, the French food podcast. Bon app! What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Paratooth Radio. As always, my name is Eric. And I'm Justin. That's just a friendly reminder in case you guys have bad memories. That's who we are. Um, Well, seeing as your name is in the random fact, I hope they haven't forgotten your name since it was maybe a minute ago. You're right. I would would hope not, too. But, (laughs) you know, even you and I, we're getting older. We forget things. Yeah. If I start forgetting my name, then I think it's time to go on to the old pastures. <laughs> and I will be there with an EMF detector and a, and a voice recorder. <laughs> Justin, did you we pass con- over? We will continue the show even after death. Uh, <laughs> so we have been talking, of course, about the the Zui, Zu, ah, How do you pronounce that? The Zuayo? Is that the... how you pronounce it? Zuyo? Zuyo. They don't don't have a pronunciation thing on this, guys, so I'm not really sure. (laughs) You know, we're talking about the creature that was dead, or yeah, and looks (laughs) like a plesiosaur, but is actually a basking shark. That creature. Just type in that whole thing. Just look up (laughs) creature that is dead that looks like a plesiosaur, but is actually a basking shark. It should pop up for you. Probably. (laughs) Maybe. So, yeah, I mean, we, we've been talking about that, uh, and we also talked about today the uh, Cabagon, uh, interesting creature, very much seal-like for sure in the drawings. I mean, you, you've seen see pictures and videos of seals like popping up out of the water to look around, mm-hmm. right? 
Right. I mean, it looked very similar to that. Um, now, <clears throat> with both of these creatures, as it is with any cryptid, uh, it's, you know, it, it, you don't get many, well, there's not a lot of evidence, I guess, to support either of them. Now, we know that this Z, 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 Z the Z Maru, that's what we're going to do. The just Maru. Talk, we're going to, we're gonna, you know, yeah, yes. <laughs> um <laughs> it's it's a photo so at least we have an actual documented photo of the creature right but right. the fact that scientists have come out and said that they've tested the dna of it uh and that it all supports the fact now in this case or i guess the theory that it was a basking shark has improved it uh but of course there are going to be people who disagree with that and that's fun. I think that's a, it's always a good thing. It keeps the mind open, allows for the mm. possibility of other creatures out there. And there certainly could be a plesiosaur-like creature out in those waters, just in the seas in general. They're so vast. I think we only, uh, I think we've only covered around ten to twenty percent of the oceans. So there's eighty to ninety percent that is just undiscovered. Uh, so who knows what kind of creatures are living out there still? Uh, and to this day, they are still finding creatures that they thought were extinct, uh, but they're not. So that's always a cool thing. But in my own opinion, uh, just simply based on the evidence here, I think that this Maru creature is actually just a basking shark. No cryptid, a natural creature living that we know of uh very well documented in uh the scientific studies of it yeah you know I, that's it has to be right yeah and the the cabagon uh, you know it, it's interesting but i don't yeah i don't know zuomaru i i think even though it would be compelling to say I think they're wrong um, with that little bit of information saying that they tested the DNA and it comes back similar because of the amino acids to a basking shark. Um, now that's not because they say by comparing it, the number of sets of amino acids in the muscle tissue that's not to say things can't be wrong. Um, 1970, oh, this one, I'm sorry, this one, 1977, I was gonna say 1974 for the Capagon. Uh, I don't think we were at the point of DNA testing as, as much as we are now. Granted, I think if you look at amino acids now compared to 1977, it's probably the exact same technology, but you never know. Uh, I mean, Stuff could have been contaminated because it was rotting. I don't know. Right. I'm trying to rationalize making it a plesiosaur, and I'm still thinking to myself, shut up, Justin. It is definitely a basking shark. But, uh, yeah, so the, the Cabagon, um, do, you, do you think it could have just been a, a walrus misidentification? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Are there a walrus or a seal? Uh, you know, one point five. You said one point five meters, correct? If I'm not mistaken. Uh, well, the was the one point five meters was the from the nostrils to the top of the head. Oh, from the nostrils to the top of the head. Yeah. Okay, so I mean, 
I, I would think that's probably. I mean, that would be a real, really large walrus or seal. I think, but well, probably not for a walrus necessarily. Uh, a seal, I think that'd be a little, a little big. A uh, one point five meters is roughly five feet. Uh, so yeah, there, that's quite a bit of creature to be up out of the water, and a walrus is plenty big enough to do that. But again, five feet. I mean, that's that's a lot. <laughs> You know, yeah. Uh, considering that all they saw was the eyes and the nostrils, and then disappeared into the water from there. Uh, usually, you would probably with a walrus, you probably see maybe two feet tops. You know, of something like right. that. Right. Right. Uh, so I'm not exactly sure. Here's the thing: is all we can really go off on this is their own words. You know, this is a a description. Uh, and a drawing that they made. Uh, they claim mm, it was five feet. Right. Uh, you know, again, this is an this has to be an estimate, right? This is on moving water on the ocean. So the waves, especially in the Antarctic, get pretty big. I don't know if this was near land or not. If it wasn't, then these waves are easily getting, you know, six, seven feet plus, uh, probably more. So who knows if the description is even accurate. My guess based on what I'm reading here is he only saw it for a moment. You know, it was so quick that they had to come up with the assumption of what this, you know, the size of this creature was. Not only that, obviously they were scared. Oh yeah, for sure. And and we know that fear plays a big factor in how we describe events. Uh, You know, oftentimes if we're let's just say we're not level-headed during the event, we're probably mm. going to blow things out of proportion unless you just simply want a good story. In that case, you're going to blow things out of proportion anyway. And that's not to say that they are doing this purposely. Uh, you know, oh, when, no. when you're scared or you just see something for a moment, all you can do is justify what you saw by coming up with the conclusion. And the conclusion in this case was that it was some sort of cryptid creature with red eyes, big nostrils, and roughly five feet tall. Uh, that popped up out of the water and then disappeared. Um, right. And maybe that's all that happened. Maybe you just popped up for a breath of air, in which case a right. walrus could have picked up five feet, depending on how fast it was moving, or if the creature was being chased by a, another creature, a predator. Uh, seals will literally jump completely out of the water to avoid great whites. Well, and when uh, in this one article, the the obscurban legend.fandom.com. I don't know where he's getting a uh, misidentified whale or because of the enormous eyes of giant squid. I mean, it could have been misidentified that way, but where did the, the nostril holes come from if you're looking at a, a whale? Because the only thing I know of is the one blowhole on top. Uh, right. Whales don't have nostrils on the front, right? No. No, they do not. I knew you would know that, so that's why I asked. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, a, a squid a squid has nostrils on, on the top part of the body where the eyes are, don't they? Uh, I believe so. You're going to have to look this up now. The squid. Or so, not necessarily nostrils, but sometimes I mean, not of nostrils openings. because, yeah, I mean, you know, obviously they do, they don't need to breathe oxygen. They have more, I mean, let me rephrase that. They breathe oxygen. All creatures breathe oxygen. Uh, right. Even it's just those the that way don't they come get up it. for it. It's the way right. they get it. Yeah. 
but squids are pretty well known to be, you know, hang out both. Well, I guess squids mostly hang out in the water. Octopus, on the other hand, can come up out of the water. Uh, right. So that's a little different. Uh, but yeah, no, they typically have uh, gills in this case. Uh, the squid, if I'm not mistaken, has kind of, I don't know if it's really a nostril per se, but it does have two holes like on either like side ear, of its hearing face, apparatus. Kind of, kind of, that's kind of what it looks like is it, like a hearing apparatus. I don't know if it is. Uh, I, you know, look, I haven't studied squids very much. Um, <laughs> You're not a biologist. Movie, no, you know, I, there was this movie one. I forget what it's called, but it's about giant squid. Um, and I remember like the person like getting off their boat and like pulling this giant hook out of it because it's part of this whatever you know squids have hooks on the inside of their suction cups which is Mm. really creepy right um i don't know i can't remember what this movie was but it was creepy and it got me interested in squids for a while but not enough to to do research on this to know the biology like i've done yeah i mean i've done research but you know i was younger i was like 13 so i definitely don't remember it Well, and the interesting thing about this, too, is this guy also says maybe an iceberg. That would make sense because of the height from the the nostrils to the, the top of the head. Uh, an iceberg that had been partially melted, and I don't know why there would have been a flash of red in the holes that they're saying are the eyes. I mean... Light uh, reflects weirdly on things sometimes, like a like a prism, sort of. Right. But um, now I've just confused myself and not really sure what I'm believing uh, this creature is. All in all, are you thinking walrus? Most likely. I mean, it, it matches the description of of a walrus or a seal. Uh, those are the two that I think of when when I look at this image. Okay. Yeah. It, these these two were interesting. I, I had done a search on cryptids of the o- ocean, cryptids or cryptids of the ocean, something like that, and the these two popped up in, in an enormous list that I found. So I thought it'd be cool to kind of talk about them and, and discuss a little bit. But overall, these two creatures, I think we can both agree that, uh, you know, the, the Zuyo Maru carcass is most definitely a, a basking shark and the Kabagon more than likely a misidentified walrus. I would love to see these creatures in the wild and say, no, I was wrong. But, all right. So, next week, um, we're going to take a very small break from the myths and legends of the high seas, and we will be talking to... um, Crap, I should have pulled up this. I mean, do do we need to take a break? This is the next one going to be our final episode for the series. Right, but this one, the Small Town Monsters, is going to be 
right but that doesn't right but that doesn't mean we need to air it in between well i guess that's true i mean consider this we can just tell them transfer over to megaphone we don't want to keep the series split that you know evergreen's going to say something about that wants to keep those series together we'll cut that out Okay, so next week we're gonna finalize this series um, of the myths and legend, uh, uh, myths and monsters of the high seas, with something that was uh, requested by the fans. Eric, why don't you tell them what we're gonna be discussing? We are going to be. Discussing this all kind of rhyme, a little bit, right? I'm thinking of becoming a new Dr. Seuss writer since they, you know, stopped making their books. Um, <laughs> we're going to be discussing the Flying Dutchman. Uh, we've got a lot of requests for the Flying Dutchman. I know Justin and I, we we're like, eh, I don't want to talk about it because yeah. you know everybody talks about it. But then Justin was like, Do you think we should talk about the uh, Flying Dutchman? Yes, we have to. <laughs> We do. We have to. <laughs> well, I mean, there, uh, there's so many. There's so many cryptids it, that have been supposedly spotted in the ocean. We could probably do uh, myths and legends of the high seas for another year and still not cover everything that has been sighted on the high seas. True. Very true. So I think this is uh, the uh, the. Uh, Flying Dutchman is a good spot to kind of finalize this series and move on to uh, whatever it is we're going to be doing for the next couple weeks before October hits. But uh, yeah, it and looking up this research, it's very interesting. And you guys will have to tune in next week to hear what exactly we found on the Flying Dutchman. But until next week where you will find us same time, same channel. My name is Justin. And I'm Eric. Peace. This is Welcome to Novel Conversations, a podcast about the world's greatest stories. I'm your host, Frank Lavallo, and for each episode of Novel Conversations, I talk to two readers about one book, and together, we summarize the story for you. We introduce you to the characters, we tell you what happens to them, and we read from the book along the way. So if you love hearing a good story, you're in the right place. Our ninth season is coming this fall. Tune in to hear from some of the all-time great authors, Charles Dickens, Jules Verne, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and more. Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts.